Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, this is the week my new book comes out. It's called All in the Same Boat, and pre-orders open on March 15th. It will only be available on my website, johnsrenny.com, or allinthesameboatbook.com. I spent more than two years writing this book, which contains stories of my time serving in the Navy as a submarine officer, and how those experiences helped me lead nine different manufacturing businesses throughout my career. I guarantee this will be the most interesting leadership book you will read this year. Thank you for everyone who has supported this book launch and has supported this show through the years. As a reminder, the best way to support the show is to share, like, you know, tell your friends about it. But you can also visit my sponsors, BottomGunCoffee.com and IHaveTheWatch.com. Both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, today's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to talk about the origins of one of the stories in my new book, and then I'm actually going to share that story with you. It's about my first deployment on the USS Tennessee in the North Atlantic in a major winter storm, and how that experience helped me understand my World War II Navy veteran grandfather so much better. It's one of my favorite stories in the book, and I'm excited to share it with you. Outside of my family, you were the first to ever hear how this story came to be. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about the origin story of one of the stories in the book. Uh, I was working on the final chapter, it's chapter 8, and uh, this chapter is actually called Celebrate the Tough Times. And I wanted to tell a little bit about uh, my first patrol on the Tennessee in winter in the North Atlantic. And I was working on writing that story in my book, and it just happened to be uh, in the summer last year, uh, we were on a small family reunion. Now, of course, this was when COVID was running pretty strong, so uh, we decided as a, uh, as a family to just get away, and uh, we rented a beach house in North Carolina. We just spent uh, some time together and just had a quiet week by the beach, and uh, I brought my computer, and I figured I'd write, uh, you know, continue to write the book that I was working on. And it was kind of neat because uh, I was sitting around, we were sitting around a very large uh, dining room table. I was on one end just kind of writing and typing in the story about my my experiences in the North Atlantic, and as we were talking about it, 
My father uh, mentioned uh, a similar story he heard from my grandfather. Uh, he was also uh, operated in the North Atlantic in the winter, and he was actually engaged in a battle uh, in part of the Battle of the Atlantic. And, um, you know, we went online and actually while we were sitting there, we looked at, we tried to look it up, try to get all the details about it. And it turns out that where he was operating in the Atlantic was very close to where I was operating during my first patrol. And when we kind of put two and two together, we were pretty amazed. There was a lot of parallels between his story and my story. In fact, my sister, who was there at the family reunion, she, you know, she's the one in the family that studies genealogy. And she had, you know, all the history of my family and and all the stories of our family. And um, so as we were you know, we put the date of that battle. We 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 worked backwards, and we found out that my grandfather was 23 years old during this battle. And it just so happens, as uh, as I was considering the story about my first patrol, it turns out I was 23 as well. So there was this real parallel story between his experiences in World War II and my experiences. You know, two generations later. I mean, here I was, another sailor from the same family, but I was in a different war. But yet I was in the same part of the Atlantic in the middle of a winter storm. And the parallels were just, you know, in my mind, they were just too important not to include this uh, in this book. So uh, I was able to piece together what I think happened with my grandfather during that winter, that battle in that winter storm. And I, you know, compared it with my experiences uh, during uh, during the Cold War in a very similar situation. Of course, uh, not a shooting war like my grandfather was in, but still just the just very similar situation. And I wanted to uh, include this in the book. So it's in chapter eight. So I'm going to share that with you now. It's, so I'm going to share with you the beginning of chapter eight. The, the chapter eight is called Celebrate the Tough Times. And this subchapter is called Winter in the North Atlantic. So I hope you enjoy. Chapter eight, Celebrate the Tough Times. The North Atlantic is a cruel and unforgiving body of water. Thomas Barnhart, chief of the boat, USS City of Corpus Christi. Winter in the North Atlantic. The winter seas in the North Atlantic were notoriously rough, but today they were absolutely brutal. The men on board the 306-foot Edsel-class destroyer escort USS Frost were being tossed about like rag dolls. They were shaken, but they remained on high alert. They stayed vigilant because their mission was far too important. The fate of millions of people in New York and Boston were in their hands. In a last-ditch effort to turn the tide of the war, U.S. intelligence had discovered that Germany was plotting to send dozens of submarines armed with V-1 flying bombs to terrorize East Coast cities. The Frost was one of more than 20 destroyer escorts assigned to Operation Teardrop. Their job was to find and destroy these missile-armed U-boats before they could carry out their deadly attacks. Just before midnight on April 15, 1945, they made radar contact in the middle of a terrible storm. A 23-year-old sailor gripped an electrical panel tightly as the ship pitched back and forth. This was his battle stations on the USS Frost. His job was to ensure the ship's electrical systems remained fully functional while the ship made its attack. He had heard on the 1MC that their sister ship, USS Stanton, had spotted a U-boat on the surface. The enemy boat was on the surface because it couldn't snorkel in the rough seas. 
which were later described as mountainous. The Stanton initiated an anti-submarine hedgehog mortar attack against the surface boat, but somehow the submarine managed to submerge and escape. The Frost was now joining the fight in a desperate search for the evading submarine. The young sailor knew the hunters had just become the hunted. One well-placed torpedo would send the Frost and all of her 209 sailors to the bottom of the unforgiving Atlantic. That sailor was my grandfather, and that night his ship, the USS Frost, along with the USS Stanton, managed to overcome incredible odds. They found and sank not just not one, but two German submarines in the middle of a heavy storm. It was a tense battle that lasted the entire night, but in the end, the two destroyer escorts were able to outmaneuver and outgun the deadly U-boats. Both submarines suffered enormous explosions after being attacked, which reinforced the intel that they were carrying missiles destined for the East Coast. I had heard the story from my grandfather years ago, but I had never imagined that 46 years later, at 23 years old, I would be on a submarine operating in the same area of the North Atlantic in a massive winter storm in a completely different war. As I gripped an electrical panel tightly to steady myself against the rolling seas, I thought about my grandfather and the dangerous situations he faced in the Navy during World War II. I was beginning to understand why he was the most calm and composed man I had ever known. It was January of 1991, and I was on my first patrol on the USS Tennessee. Our operating area for this deployment was the North Atlantic. Our job was strategic deterrence, and our enemy was the USSR. Our job was to remain undetected and be ready to launch our missiles if directed. Although significant changes were happening in Moscow, the Cold War was still in full strength and the Soviet fleet was desperate to locate us. To say that winter storms in the North Atlantic are relentless is an understatement. To put it in perspective, The Perfect Storm, made famous by the book by Sebastian Younger and a movie by George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, would occur in the North Atlantic nine months after I made this patrol. That storm in October of 1991 contained 75 mile per hour winds and 100 foot waves. It killed 13 people, including the crew of the fishing vessel Andrea Gale. As the newest officer on the Tennessee, I was still trying to get my bearings and learn the routines. The bad weather and the effect on the boat took me by surprise. I had no idea that a 560 foot submerged submarine would take this level of pounding 200 feet below the angry seas. We were taking rolls in excess of 30 degrees, and the Tennessee's round hull offered no resistance to the swells. The fish tank in the wardroom had to be lowered to just a few gallons to keep it from sloshing out during the steepest rolls. Even the fish were miserable. As I observed the crew, I could tell this wasn't normal. Seasickness was widespread, and even some of the most seasoned sailors were looking green around the gills. The cooks on the mess deck struggled to prepare meals in the heaving seas. They had to be careful not to allow pots and pans to crash to the deck, which would give away our position. I learned the importance of the phrase rig for sea. That meant everything had to be either tied or locked down to make sure they wouldn't come loose and fall during the heavy rolls. My job this evening was to take the Tennessee to periscope depth and snorkel as the junior officer of the deck. This was part of my qualification process. Snorkeling was used to run the diesel generator at periscope depth. Many people are surprised to learn that submarines have a diesel generator, but it's an important piece of equipment. The diesel could be used to recharge the ship's battery if there was a problem with the reactor, or it could be configured to ventilate a smoke-filled compartment in an emergency. Tonight was supposed to be a routine snorkel operation. 
it would be the first time I'd ever taken the Tennessee to Periscope depth, and it turned out to be a lot more than I ever expected. We were rigged for red and control as part of the procedure for going to Periscope depth at night. All the lights and control were set to red to make sure the officer of the deck, and in this case the junior officer of the deck, maintained their night vision before going to shallower depths. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium certified organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. It's what I drink every day. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffeeCompany.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. As I gripped the panel and looked at the team in control, what I saw was almost surreal. It looked like an animated version of a Hieronymus Bosch painting of hell. All the sailors were cast in an eerie, monochromatic red hue as they pitched back and forth in the heavy seas. I had been briefed on what to do and say to bring the ship to periscope depth, but I would first observe the officer of the deck do it. As the boat ascended, I noticed two things. The seas became rougher and we had trouble maintaining depth. The back of a Trident submarine is flat, and the heavy wave action across the boat caused the sub to get sucked towards the surface. I watched the diving officer and chief of the watch struggle to keep the Tennessee at the proper depth without broaching. Broaching is a bad thing in the submarine world. It's when any part of the ship other than the periscope breaks the surface of the water. Broaching can lead to detection, and in the Cold War, detection was simply unacceptable. After we returned to safer depths, the officer of the deck turned the watch over to me. It was my turn. I manned the periscope and began making quick sweeps with the optics pointed towards the surface as I had been taught. I looked for shapes and shadows, but all I could see was the dark ocean and an occasional bubble. When the scope broke the surface, I immediately looked for close contacts. What I saw was the chaotic cauldron of wind and waves that prevented me from doing a proper search. I made five complete sweeps before I felt confident enough to call out no close contacts. It was at that point where I noticed how bad the storm was. In the dim light of a cloudy sky with a waning moon, I saw the size of the waves. From the vantage point of the tiny periscope, they honestly look mountainous. Once the ship was ready to ventilate, I gave the command to raise the induction mast. This is a stubby mast on the back of the sail that contains both the intake and exhaust ports for the diesel generator. There is a head valve on the top of the mast. This valve is spring-loaded, shut, and uses high-pressure air to stay open. There is a sensor on the mast that detects seawater. If water washes over the sensor, the head valve slams shut to prevent water from getting into the diesel. 
The valve was designed to prevent damage to the diesel and to prevent flooding. I was about to witness what happens when waves are continuously crashing over this mast. The plan was to stay at periscope depth for 15 minutes, run the diesel, then return to patrol depth. It sounded easy enough, but in these rough waters, it proved to be extremely difficult. For the diving officer and the chief of the watch, this was probably the longest 15 minutes of their lives. Every minute we snorkeled, they had to battle with the sea to stay shallow enough to allow the diesel to operate and deep enough to prevent broaching. It was a delicate operation made especially difficult in the unpredictable seas. I continued my periscope sweeps until another wave completely covered the scope. Then I heard it, the unmistakable sound of a head valve slamming shut. Fortunately, the valve worked precisely as designed. It shut when the sensor was wet and reopened when the wave cleared. For the few seconds it was closed, however, the diesel continued to run, using the ship's air for intake and the ship's living spaces as an exhaust port. Yes, the diesel fumes ported directly into the submarine for those few seconds. One time might have been fine, but as we bobbed in the heavy seas, wave after wave passed over the scope and the head valve cycled open and shut countless times. At the end of the 15 minutes at periscope depth, the captain directed us to secure from snorkeling and return the ship to patrol depth. When we finally reached a safe operating depth, I lowered the scope and looked around control. As the lights came on, what I saw was surreal. A gray haze of fumes hung heavily in the space, and everyone smelled like diesel exhaust. Even those who weren't seasick before were now looking queasy. My stomach was doing somersaults as well. I had never felt this nauseous. The team in control was battered and exhausted. The diving officer, chief of the watch, helmsman, and plainsman had just endured 15 minutes of intense concentration and effort to keep the Tennessee steady at periscope depth in the middle of a massive winter storm. There wasn't cheering or excitement to be back at safer depth. The feeling was more like relief. The rolling seas at 200 feet now felt pleasant compared to what we had just gone through. Although I didn't know it at the time, this experience would profoundly affect my life. After more than two weeks of operating in the North Atlantic's turbulent seas, the winter storm finally cleared, and we experienced smooth sailing for the rest of that patrol. In fact, in the six patrols I made after this one, I never experienced weather and ocean conditions even close to this. Those 16 days of being beaten and battered became my benchmark, my high water mark. When things got bad, I always remember that winter storm. That experience gave me a new perspective. I would recall what I went through and think, This is nothing compared to my first patrol. I made it through that. I can make it through this. That's the interesting thing about tough times. They give you a new perspective. Your view of life forever changes from having withstood a difficult period. You have a much greater appreciation for when times are good. You're also less likely to let people and minor issues bother you. I think this is a big reason why my grandfather was so calm and composed. Nothing in his life ever came close to what he went through during the war. Every day he wasn't in a winter storm in the North Atlantic being hunted by German U-boats was probably a good day. For me, it felt the same way. Throughout my corporate career, my experience as a naval officer made me look at problems differently than other people. Many called me an optimist because I never let the challenges we faced in business ever affect my confidence in our future success. When everyone was discouraged, I was always positive. It wasn't optimism, though. It was perspective. Nothing I ever faced in business was as hard as taking a nuclear submarine to periscope depth at night in the middle of a winter storm. Those tough times at sea gave me a new perspective on land. 
The important lesson here is that you should be encouraged if you're going through a rough patch in your life or business. It might be the best thing that ever happened to you. This situation may become your new high water mark. As I have learned in my career, you truly learn to appreciate the storms in your life when they're over. I wouldn't want to go back and do it again, but I'm thankful I had that experience in those two weeks in the North Atlantic. It helped me understand my grandfather so much more and gave me a new outlook on life. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed that little sneak peek of my new book, All in the Same Boat. And as a reminder, I will open up pre-orders on March 15th, and it will only be available on my website, johnsrenny.com, or on allinthesameboatbook.com. So make sure to purchase your copy this week. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast.